0: Check this out. Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Yes Pallets. Yes Pallets is the pallet removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale at a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. Today's podcast features the incredible story of former NFL defensive lineman, and Super Bowl champion, Lionel Jelly Roll Dalton. While he had an amazing career on the field and success, he and his family are in the battle of their lives as the man they call Jelly Roll battles chronic kidney disease. Now, for me, this podcast is personal because my mom fought kidney failure for so long. So it brings back memories of prayer, support, and the will to win. It's a great story, and maybe we can all help. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast, and make sure you're following the podcast on social media. You can follow the Chris Williams Podcast Hour on both IG and Twitter, at the Chris will Pod, and on Facebook, it is simply the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. As I said before, And I will say it again, all of our podcasts are good. So enjoy the content you are familiar with and try the unknown. You will learn something from it and more importantly, you'll get hooked. Folks, sit back and enjoy this podcast and pay attention to this story. See how you could possibly impact and make a difference in not only Lionel Jelly Roll Dalton's life, but other people's lives who are fighting chronic kidney disease. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour.
1: have a very good show. I have former Eastern Michigan University standout, a two-time all mid-American conference selection, an eight-year NFL veteran, a Super Bowl champion, and always a fun-loving teammate, a father, a husband. And now, the big man needs our help and our prayers as he battles chronic kidney disease and awaits a kidney donor. Please, Help me welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour the one and only, fun-loving, Lionel Jelly Roll Dalton. Jelly Roll, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, what's up,
1: guys? Thanks for having me. Uh, we're excited. We are excited. And again, thank you for taking the time to come on to Chris Williams Podcast Hour to share your incredible story and your battle. So, And as I tell all my guests, This podcast does not work unless you're willing to share your story and shamelessly plug yourself. So please share whatever stories and whatever message you need to get out there. We ask you to share that with us. Okay. No problem. All right. Excellent. All right. So I normally start my podcast by asking my guests to describe their background. But with you, this this is really personal to me because my mom battled kidney disease for years. So I want to start by asking where you are right now in your search for a kidney and, and just, just talk about your
2: physical, you know, day-to-day. Um, well, I can start off with how I, how I found out I got kidney disease. was We had a New Year's Eve party at my house with friends and family on January 2020. And about 3 o'clock that morning, I woke up short of breath. Um, I thought it was my asthma because I had a few cigars that night. And um, it didn't, The asthma, my asthma pump didn't help, so I went to the fire station around the corner, and my blood pressure was high and my oxygen level was low. They take me into emergency, and I found out I had um, stage 4 kidney failure, and they said I need to get on dialysis as soon as possible. Um, and so I've been day to day. So I've been on dialysis now for four, for about a year and a half. I go for about four hours and 45 minutes, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And, um, I have good days and bad days. Dialysis, what it does is cleanses the blood and it removes, um, um, fluid from the body. Um, when you have kidney disease, you don't go to the bathroom as much. So you have to re- remove the fluid from the body because too much fluid in the body affects the heart. And so, um, a lot of people who are on dialysis for long periods of time that what usually follows is heart failure and heart disease. So, um, a lot of people on dialysis, um, die from heart, heart issues because they don't, um, it's hard to monitor your fluid intake, especially in the summertime. And so, um, for me, uh, I try, I, I battle with trying to, um, Keep my fluid intake down. I try to eat healthy, and I try to um, stay positive, mentally positive.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, prior to January 20th, did you have any signs, or was there anything that was noticeable, noticeably different for you that something might be happening?
2: Well, I wish I would have known what I knew then, what I know now. So in January, not January, it was um, April, from spring training when I was with Kansas City Chiefs, the trainer told me or the doctor told trainer and the doctor told me I had protein in my urine. But neither explained that too much protein in your urine is the early signs of kidney failure. This was in 2005. So I've been dealing with this for years, and I didn't know it. I always have low energy. Um, when I work out, I feel like I'm itching because that's from the phosphorus. Because your kidneys not functioning correctly, it doesn't process phosphorus correctly in the body, and so I've been having issues with. I've been having symptoms of kidney disease since 2006, but I had no idea what it was. I thought my wife was just washing my clothes in, you know, uh, in the cheap um, liquid. I used to complain to her about the stuff she washed my clothes in because I said it, it would make me itch. Well, in reality it was the phosphorus leaving my body when I sweat, and it causes you the itch. So. I've been dealing with this since 2006, uh, unannoy- um, not knowing I had it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow.
1: And, and you know, I, and I hate to uh, kind of beat a dead horse, but you, you talk about the itching. And I ask these questions so that people that are listening, if they're experiencing any kind of symptom, symptoms that we talk about, hey, maybe they stop and they say, you know what, I've got to go to the doctor, so that's why I'm
2: asking these questions. Yeah. So some of the early signs which I had was um, pain in the mid back, which is around the kidney area. Um, fatigue, like when you like you're tired for no reason and like sleepy and unusually tired. Um, another sign is uh, the itching when you sweat and work out. Another sign is um, what's another sign? Like, Another sign is, um, like I said, the pain in the back, the itching, the fatigue. Um, those are the main three signs. That Those are the main three signs, yes. Okay. And, um, like, okay. unusual uh, bubbles in your urine. Like, if you're urinating, there's, like, a lot of bubbles. That's a sign that there's a lot of protein in your urine. That's another one. Oh,
1: wow. Okay. Okay. All right, so those are some some serious things. And I had for.
2: I had all these things, but I had no idea it was chronic kidney disease. And I wish I would have known that because I could have got on top of it early. I probably could have did a few things. There's a few things you can do naturally if you catch it early to help reverse the process. But I didn't know. And so, um, but yeah, if you notice these things, definitely go see a doctor. And you know, they have um, natural ways. They're also Western ways to help. Um, deal with it.
1: Okay, and so what are some of those natural ways that you can you can do to catch it yeah. early and, and try to reverse? It? Well, the
2: few the few people that I've been um, following a lot on YouTube and talked to, they completely they uh, they went about eighty to ninety percent plant based. So because the process, the thing is meat takes so long to process and digest, and that puts a lot of stress on your kidneys. So mm-hmm. that so going plant-based like the body naturally heals itself it's made to heal itself and so going plant-based helps um drinking a lot more water because a lot of people don't drink we drink a lot of fluid. we don't drink enough water um what's another uh, yeah just eating healthier drinking more water definitely helps you know exercise um that definitely helps as well just trying to keep your weight low because being obese and having a little extra weight in the belly area Push strain, push stress on the kidneys as well.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, all right. So, and you you briefly touched on dialysis. So, yeah. You know, describe how tough that is, and, and compare it to what you endured on a football field, and which is harder.
2: Mm. It depends. Uh. <laughs> um, I would say dialysis because it's um, never it's ever going. Like football, you have a rough practice, but then you can go and rest and recover. Dialysis is constant three days a week for the, uh, for until you get a kidney, and that can last for years. Um, okay. Mentally, I think it's just as tough because originally I was in denial. You know, being a football player, you figure you can take a pill or work out or do something to fix it, but you can't. You got to really follow, you know, your regimen and uh, there's no there's no there's no shortcuts with dealing with this there's no shortcuts with trying to you know you know um, when you eat when when you have kidney disease you you really feel what you eat so if you eat bad you feel bad if you understand know if you eat healthy you feel better So with kidney disease, you will feel what you put into your body. So if I go a day where I'm with my kids, I might eat a little extra ice cream and eat some of their junk, I feel like crap that day. But when I eat healthy and eat some of the foods that my wife tried to push me to eat or or, or go plant-based, try to eat more vegetables and salads and things that are light and are easy to digest, I feel better. So um, with kidney disease, you definitely feel the foods you put in your body. Okay,
1: so and, and I'm familiar with the whole dialysis, especially the Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine. My mom went through that, so yeah. she would she would always once a month have her little cheat day, and then you know right. try to go on Friday and get it pumped out, and you know
2: right. But, yeah, so that's what a lot so of people how... do. You try to you try to eat you try to either like if i I want to cheat, I would eat back on my way to the dialysis. So on my way to okay. dialysis, I might have. That, that cheeseburger from McDonald's I'm not supposed to have or that <laughs> whatever it is I'm not supposed to eat, I will eat it on my way to the knowing that they're going to. dialysis takes everything, all the protein out of your body, all the minerals out of your body. So you got to realize that so you lose muscle mass if you don't replace a lot of this stuff. So um, okay. And you feel like crap because you imagine all the minerals and all the, the, the nutrients you get from food is all sucked up out of your body to, from dialysis. So okay. it just doesn't take okay. the bad stuff out; it takes the good stuff out your body as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's that's a real drain. That's a real drain. So, and again, this is all about awareness. So, mm-hmm. talk about what your you know. You talked about a regimen. What kind of meal regimen do you have now?
2: Okay. So, so when I first I started researching um, I'm big on alternative ways of doing uh, alternative ways to healing so cause my wife is really big on it and so there's a study in Australia that um, says they, feed, they said rat less food consumption slows down the deterioration process of the kidneys so I did this thing called an intermediate fast and I did it for about 8 months and so I was 350 when I went into dialysis All right now I'm around 260. So I've lost a lot of weight during this fasting and losing the weight, and that helps with um, pressure on the kidney. Like I said, weight he- being heavy adds strain to the kidney. So I feel a difference from losing the weight. And each day I probably get up and I might have my, my bagel and cream cheese in the morning. i probably eat a, a nice salad or a, with salmon in the afternoons, and I try to stay away from late-night eating. So I try to eat a big lunch. So I try to eat between eight and five. I try to eat all my meals because I want everything to digest while I'm up and active and little during the day, and I can sleep at night uh, and wake up and I, you know, um, I feel good when I have nothing on my stomach. It feels better because when that food, when that food is processing you can feel every little, you know, everything when you are um, dealing with kidney um, failure. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. So the lighter the food, the less the havoc it it um, wreaks on the body. Okay. So now you, you said you
1: weighed. Excellent. Excellent. So you said you weighed 350 at one time, mm-hmm. and you're down to 260. What was your playing weight?
2: My playing weight is around three. My early years, 315. My later years, 335. Okay. So I left the NFL. I was about 335 when I left the NFL. When I yeah. retire,
1: so you only put on a few pounds. It wasn't, you know, some drastic. Yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, it just didn't look so, as nice because I wasn't working out every day. <laughs> right, and that
1: happens to all of us. right. <laughs> but so, you know, and your meal when you were playing, what were, mm-hmm. what was your, what was your routine? What, how much did you eat, just to keep your Man. body? Healed?
2: I ate till I was tired. So I don't even know if I had a routine. <laughs> <laughs> we would go into training table. I would eat till I was tired. Pretty much. I would eat till my stomach said, Okay, it's time to get up and go to the bathroom. I would eat till I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I was greedy, man. I ate everything, man. I got I got that nickname Jelly Ro. I earned that nickname Jelly Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like that. I like that. So if you bro. could go back to your playing days and I, and I know you kinda touched on this before would you go back and change any of your dietary habits?
2: Oh man, I would change a lot. I had two teammates. Shannon Sharp told me I eat too much, and he was he was doing meal prep way back then when it wasn't even popular yet, and he was eating organic foods and healthy foods. I wish I I just look at that. Ugh! Like, what is that you eating? But I'm sitting over eating a whole bunch, a whole pig's butt and bacon and eggs for breakfast. And um, but uh, and then uh, Tony. Um, so Tony Gonzalez did. He's a vegan, so he tried to get me to do the whole vegan thing because I used to eat everything. Man, I eat, I eat a lot, and so everybody's like, "Oh my God, Jelly well, you got all that food. You have to eat all that food," and I would eat it all. And so guys would try to come and talk to me back then. So I wish I would have listened, and maybe I would have ate a little less and ate some some of the healthy food they tried to. Um, influenced me to eat when I was playing. So I wish I would have, you know, listened to those guys. Because then both of them are in pretty good shape right now. And they're about to the same Ah. age.
1: Okay. Okay. Excellent. All right. Obviously, football was a big part of your life. So I want to circle back now and and learn more about your story. Who is Lionel Dalton? So describe Mm -hmm. where you grew up and what your family was like. Well,
2: I grew up in Detroit. Well, my my grandfather moved my family from um, uh, Georgia, Macon, Georgia. No, Viana, Georgia, right outside of Macon, to Detroit, like everybody else did to get the job at the plant. So my grandfather worked for General Motors, and most of my family has worked for it. Besides my mother, worked for the autom- in the automotive industry because I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And um, we ate. We ate everything from the ruler to the Tudor. or well, they did. I, eat, I can't <laughs> eat chitlins. I can't eat the pig feet. Anything that was wiggly, I can't eat. But I did eat. I ate a lot of fried pork chop sandwiches and neck bones and, you know, greens. And we ate. My I'm, my my whole family's big. We all need to go on a diet. But, um, yeah, we ate good. I grew up, we ate good in Detroit. I grew up on Detroit, um, west side, um, where, um, you know um, – we play basketball manually and somehow I got into football and um I realized I was better at football and basketball and um uh I was play high school freshman team and then I got cut but the basketball coach told me to go downstairs and talk to the football coach and um the rest is history. I've been um playing football since my uh, my tenth grade year in high school.
1: Okay, okay. And obviously you were a star at Cooley High in Detroit. So talk a little bit more about your high school years and how it led you to Eastern Michigan University.
2: Um, My high school years were um, I actually quit football twice um, because I didn't like it and I was a mama boy. So I grew up with my mother and my sister. So I was kind of soft. I ain't really, my father wasn't. My father, he, he didn't live with us. So I didn't. I was raised by my mother, so I was kind of soft. So my mother allowed my high school football coach, who was a country man from Alabama, pretty much gave me the key to my house. So every time I quit, he would drag me out of my house and make me play football. I thank that man to this day because football pretty much changed my life. But um, so um, I played football two years in high school. I ended up um, learned, um, playing around with the shot put, and I got good enough that I ended up winning the state championship one year and even with the regionals. I had no technique. I was just strong. I did that and lettered in um, track and field. And um, after my junior year, um, one of the guys said, you know, you can get paid for college. You can keep doing it. You can go to college and your mother will have to pay for you to go to school. So I took, started taking it serious probably my junior year and um, ended up going to Eastern Michigan. Uh, went to Eastern Michigan. I was going just to get a degree so I can have some type of job when I'm grown, when I'm older. And then one of my coaches came to me and told me my sophomore year in high college, like, you good enough. You might get a chance to go to the NFL. I didn't believe him, but I kept playing, and I ended up getting a free agent shot with Baltimore Ravens, and the race is history. I, and I played nine years in the NFL. Yes, yes. So, so everything that, even was like,
1: it, hmm? No, I mean, I mean, that that is a – a tremendous story. So you tell us, you know, you quit football a couple times and yet you ended up turning something that you didn't like into a passion, a career and it's taking care of your family.
2: So exactly. congratulations and, uh, on that. Yeah, so every time I see my high school football coach, I wanna I give me I owe that man lunch every time I see him I owe him dinner because if he wouldn't have drugged me out of that house the two times that I did quit, I probably wouldn't be sitting there talking to you right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Now, who are some of the other people in your life that influenced you? Uh,
2: my mother, of course. Um, my um, my uncles. I had to cut My uncle and before they left and moved to Tennessee, my uncles was a big influence in my life. My grandmother. Um. Yeah, my mom, my my mother, my grandmother, and one of my uncles. Yeah, they all my big um, role models going on. Okay. Okay. All right.
1: And like you said, you quit football two times in high school. You end up going to college, Eastern Michigan University, become a two-time All-Mac selection. So share some memories from your college days.
2: Man, I don't even remember college. I was too drunk. Um <laughs> Hey man, college was a big drunken blur sometimes. Um, but uh, Eastern Michigan, um, my favorite game I remember when I realized I was good was when we played Wisconsin. And uh, I forgot the starting running back. It was the one before Rod Dane. But, um, I ended up playing with Rod Dane in Houston, which is funny. But I ended up hurting the game the starting running back for Wisconsin, we were each to Michigan, ended up hurting the starting running back. And then Rod Dane came in and ran for, like, 250 yards on us, and then he ended up running our eyes the odds in that same year. So when I played with Rod Dane, I told him I gave him his career because I ended up hurting the guy that was starting in front of him. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. All
1: right, Jelly Roll. So you are a success story. So you went undrafted, signed with the Ravens, as you said, you became a part of their regular rotation on a defensive line that was probably a defense that was arguably one of the best all time NFL defensive teams. So, describe your NFL journey and the pride you still carry going undrafted and making that team.
2: I mean, I remember getting that draft. I, was, I thought, I was told by my age I was going to the third round. So, I threw this big party. Draft party, everybody over, and I ended up not getting picked to get drafted. I was pissed, man. So I ended up going in the basement crying, thinking I wasn't going to play in the NFL. Then I got a call from um, who was the Philadelphia Eagles, defensive quote. I forgot. Whoever was the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles in 98 called me, and then Jacob Bernie ended up calling me for the Ravens. The Eagles offered me $2,500, and the Ravens offered me $1,500. For some reason, Jacob Burney convinced me to go to Baltimore, which was the best decision I made. Ended up going to Baltimore, and I ended up bumping into the guy they drafted ahead of me. His name was Martin Chase. Um, I hated Martin Chase just because he was drafted in front of me. So I would follow this dude around, stalk him. If he ran one lap, I ran two laps. If he did bench press 10 times, I did it 11 times. I pretty much stalked him and did it and try to do everything, do one more thing that he did. And I tried to I, I work, I worked him, and I ended up being on the active roster, and he ended up being on practice squad that year. And um, Wow. And um, the next year, he ended up, ended up trading him in New Orleans. And then, <laughs> funny story, I ended up going to Washington. When I ended up going to Washington, he was there, and he had the starting spot. And I went to Washington and took his position there, too. So I know this dude, like, hated me. Because everywhere he went, <laughs> every place he went to, he was in front of me. I ended up taking his position. I was like, this dude probably hate me. But now we're great friends now. We talk on social media, and we talk about it. Like, you know, it's funny now. We're older. But that was crazy. It was um yeah, that was crazy time. But, um, yeah, uh, being on that defense, man, that was uh, – it was the best thing for me was it was an older team. So I got to ask, because I was big on asking questions. So I had people like Rob Burnett, uh, Michael Jackson, rest in peace, um, um, Orlando Brown, rest in peace, Jeff Blackshear, rest in peace. That's famous. three guys out of the team. It's crazy. And um, those guys kind of mentored me and took me under their wing, and they uh, pretty much told me what I need to do to compete in this league. And Michael Jackson told me I need to do one thing better than everybody else. And I tried to figure out that I, what I could do was get off the ball and I could penetrate anybody five yards. I could knock anybody back five yards. So I really worked on my get-off and penetration, and that's what I was known for, run-stopping. And um and, um and got it bought me a nine-year career in the NFL, just taking yes. advice from those guys and um, applying what I learned from them. Okay.
1: All right. So you played nine years in the NFL with the Ravens, the Broncos, the Redskins, the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and the Texans. So yeah. share some of your best memories. And what was your favorite spot in the NFL? I know Baltimore because
2: Baltimore, the Super Bowl Baltimore man. I used they... to come back to my wife's in Baltimore. So I used to come back to Baltimore and go eat at the uh the name of the place right across the street from the old practice facility? They had that little sub spot. And I would see Pat Bourne, and I would see Ozzy in there sometimes. And I would beg them, please bring me back. <laughs> and they would laugh, they would laugh, they would laugh. And then when we had the 10-year reunion, Ozzy told me, man, I should have brought you back, man. You, he, he was impressed by what I did after I left Baltimore. And, um, but I've always come back to Baltimore. I like Baltimore. I like D.C. I like to go to um, um, Georgetown. So I still go. I still... I still go to Baltimore at least once or twice a year, so okay. um okay. Baltimore's my favorite city, but I had my best year was with Kansas City, where I actually but i didn't I didn't get the starting job after the first game, so one guy got hurt, and then I went in and had the best game of my career, and I ended up taking this guy' position in Kansas City, and I ended up starting my years in Kansas City, and that was the year like i had I didn't get a lot of sacks and I, I I got nine sacks my whole career. But six of them was in with one season in Baltimore, or one season in Kansas City. Wow! And so, um, wow. yeah, so um, I had really great professionally. I had my best statistic year. SAC um, statistic year was in Kansas City. Kansas City was fun too, because Kansas City was like when you pull into Kansas City, you feel like it's old school football. So you pull into the stadium, people be outside for two days. They be at that Saturday and Sunday. Smoking ribs, you know, ribs are big in Kansas.
0: So everybody's
2: smoking ribs, and you feel like when you watch those old NFL highlight takes and they show you the old games, it feels exactly like that. Like you know, when wow. they give you stuff when you go into the stadium in Kansas City, they was giving out loaves of bread. You know, what I'm saying they give everybody a loaf of bread to come <laughs> to the stadium. I guess to eat, eat it with your barbecue sandwiches, make barbecue right. rib sandwiches. So it was real <laughs> old school, and then they didn't change the stadium. So it was like the stadium was very old on the inside. I think they just renovated it, but it was we had the old benches, the old lockers, the hot tub was the size of the same hot tub I had in my house. We can only get in there two at a time. The cold tub, they only had like three cold tubs. So it was completely different than all the other teams I've been on. But um, but um, but Dick Vermeil, he made he was probably one of my favorite coaches. Cause he was like generally he was old school, so he invited every position to his house for dinner during the season, and his wife would actually cook for us. And he sat down, he give us some He go, he has a vineyard. He would get us wine and get us drunk, and then for asking us all types of serious questions to, to check out our character. <laughs> it was funny, wow. but um, yeah, Dick Vermeil was probably my favorite um, head coach as um he was my favorite head coach actually because he was really like very personable and um, he really cared about the players. I felt you can feel that he genuinely loved this team, loved this player.
1: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's excellent. So you're seen as this big football player, a warrior, indestructible, NFL, almost immortal. So talk about that perception we have of you versus the perception of a man in need of a kidney.
2: Like I said earlier, it was tough at first because, you know, you do feel you you know, you I've done so much and I've, you know, I've done things like I've pushed back people like Larry Allen and Nate Newton. And so I can push those guys back. I can push through this. You know, you're thinking that I'm strong. I can get through anything, but you know, trying to do it my way, only made me get sicker and then when I started to follow the regimen of the doctors and my natural health physician, I started to see results and I started to feel better and my numbers became better. It was um it was tough man because there's a lot of you know, you you develop a strong ego that you tough enough to fight through anything by yourself and you don't really need anybody. But when you're dealing with something like this with the organs, you need all the professional help you can get, and um, you need um, you need to, and it's hard to like ask for help. You know, my wife okay. and um, family friend convinced me to actually tell my story because you know I didn't even want to talk about it at first cause, you know you don't I don't like asking for help. I'm not the type of person that like ask for help, but um, what happened when when I first told my told my story on social media, I had hundreds of people telling me, thank you for sharing your story because it's going to shed light on what I'm going through. And so a lot of people like felt like they really appreciate me talking about this disease because they're going through it, and it felt made them feel good that somebody's out there advocating for people dealing with this. And um, so just getting the feedback from the people, from the fans, and from um, his family about, and even family members of mine, who were dealing with it? Who didn't tell anybody? Nobody in the family knew until that. Until so I spoke about me, uh, me having it, it's really um, starting to help shed light and help, um, you know, remove a lot of the stigmas that come along with kidney donor, with donating organs and um, helping people get through their day to day because it's tough. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So, and and I can honestly say, so the reason I found out about your story is my sister Kelly, she mm-hmm. followed it, and she's like, you got to hear this story. He's, she's like, it sounds like our mother, except she was a football player. And then, you know, I started reading about you. And then even today when you told me you go to dialysis three times a day or three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, yeah. and Friday, it brings back those memories of me having to, you know, one of us having to get up early, take her to dialysis, and then Mm. come and wait for her. And, you know, that, that, that grind. But listen, she did it for years. Yes. Yes. She did it for years. And people will be like, oh, she's not going to, you know, she's five foot and 130 pounds. So people, oh, she's not going to last. But she did it. She did it. Mm. So you can do it too. And just keep, keep grinding. There's days when you're going to feel like you want to quit, but just think about your family. Think about who uh-huh. you are internally, because you're, you're not a quitter. Obviously, from what you've done in the NFL and beyond, you're not a quitter. So just keep fighting, man. And thank, and, you, and thank yeah. you. Thank you. So, But ultimately, what is the story that Lionel Jelly Roll Dalton would like to write in the end?
2: Mm, Damn, that's a good question, does I thought about that all the time. I would like people to know that where I like to leave it. I try to treat everybody fairly. I try to I genuinely like people so I like to I like people to know that that I'm a good person. I genuinely care about people and um I've done and I try to do whatever I can to make other people's life better. That he did that I try to help as many people I that I could while I was here on this planet, and that's uh, that's kind of what I live my life by, trying to help people and um and I and I'm I'm a big advocate for the the underdog because you know when I play I would uh I wouldn't give my glove to the kids in the front row I would make try to throw it up to the kids up top or sometimes I go in the stadium and walk to the top and give it to the kids who the ones who they 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 don't they don't think we hear them. So I've always been an advocate for the underdog, and so uh, I try to um, you know, make everybody that I come in contact with feel special, and um, that's kind of, you know, who I am.
1: Okay. All right. I love yeah. that. I love that. All right. I want you to take the time to educate me and my listeners now some more on kidney disease. So okay. first thing I want to ask you is, so who can help with your fight and other people fighting this kidney disease what is it that they can do and who can who can step up to the plate and help you
2: well me personally i am a old negative blood type so anybody with old bl- blood type can donate to me i mean anybody with the old can donate to me and i can don't but i can donate to everybody like, so i can't take everybody's kidney but i can give anybody my kidney so i can donate to anybody but only old blood types can donate to me so anybody with the O blood type um, can um, physically donate to me. But if anybody, they have also have a swap program where if you can swap your A, if you're A blood type, you can swap it and you know, on my behalf to somebody with an O blood type, and they can give me their, um, they can donate to me the O, the O blood type kidney. So um, oh wow, uh, okay. So that's how you can help me, and I appreciate people. I also appreciate the people who. You know, on my social media platform, some days I have rough days and I, I like to read the comments of the people who say they're praying for me and, you know, encourage me, you can keep doing it. I read all those because those, those get me through tough days because some days you sit in there and, you know, a lot of people with dialysis have um, diabetes. So it's a lot of people in there amputated, struggling, going through it, you know, seeing those people sometimes can take an effect on you being around a lot of people cuz a lot of people are not as mentally strong as I am and you can see it in their eyes that they're struggling and they are having rough days and you know seeing being around that sometimes can um it can start to wear on you being around that type of energy so um I I read when I get when I get down I read the comments I read the prayers I read the positive affirmations and on um, the people that send me and uh there's a lot of people from Baltimore Baltimore's really been follow me on twitter and on facebook and been sending me their prayers and you know saying they praying for me and I, I met other people who said they mother the woman who's actually in the process of who a process right now of getting checked out for me she was in the process of donating the kidney to her mom's and her mom passed away before she can donate the kidney to her mother and she heard my story and she said god told her that she she needed to donate a kitty to me on behalf of her mother. That and that amazing. story just crushed me, man. I started, <laughs> I got teary out hearing that story about her mother. and Her mother, she just lost her mom, and she wanted to give it to me on behalf of her mom. Her mom was a huge Ravens fan, and she a huge Ravens fan. And, um, man, and so I'm praying that this one goes through, if not, I, you know, I was a couple other fans who've been trying. You know, who signing up to try to help. But um, you know, just hearing those stories really help me get through the days that I don't know. It's the days that you just some days it's just rough, man. And you just those though hearing those comments, I absorb the energy from those comments just like I absorb the energy from the fans when they scream defense, defense. I, I absorb those comments that way. It motivates me to keep pushing forward. Just like when you hear the fans screaming, "Defense, defense!" That's what that—that's what those comments do for me.
1: Okay. All
2: right.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, so, um, what is the? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's the most important message you can share with the listeners about kidney disease? Well,
2: I can. I guess you can tell them, don't take ibuprofen unless you need to. Don't take anti-inflammatories unless you need to. Motrin, don't take them unless you need to, because those medications wreak havoc on the kidney. They're bad for the kidneys. So think about it. From 2006, they told me I played up until 2000. Well, 2005, they told me. So I took every day. I, I would take Motrin before practice. And I was dealing and I had protein in my urine, so that could have took me into the point that I am and I'm now. And if I would have known that, I wouldn't have had to do that. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have took those Tordar shots you take before the cuz those wreak havoc on the kidneys. So really, just try to make sure you drink a, a lot of water. Make sure you try to eat at least some vegetables if you can. I prefer you to eat 75% of your diabetes vegetables, but I know that's not realistic for a lot of people and try not to eat and try not to eat till you full just eat not try not to eat till you, you feel stuffed just eat enough to get through the day because the more food you put in your body the more work you have to put on the kidneys and I'm just saying be healthy and be good to your organs and that's all I can say you know um, no, try to live a healthy lifestyle so you don't have to go through this because it's, um, it's mentally it's mentally and physically draining okay all
1: right that's a
2: lot. So, as a possible
1: donor, so when and how can I get tested? Where can I go, you know, to help we anybody? You can go to, it's you?
2: yeah. We created a website and it has my story, and it's called New Kidney N E W Kidney for Jellyroll dot com. And it has a story on there, you know, and tells my story. It shows my Good Morning America interview and it tells there's a lot of information on there about kidney disease and like so if you donate your kidney, any issues you have health wise, if you have any issues, which most people don't, my insurance will cover you for the life for your life. So oh, wow. you don't have to pay for anything associated with the kidney with kidney issues because my insurance will pay for it. That's how it's set up. So, and um, so you long people know that and just know that if you you can't live with one kidney and the procedure is done so often now that it's like you you know you if it, if you can be in a hospital maybe for you know, maybe for a week a week and um, some people even got out earlier than that depending on if it's a living donor the process is short so if you if it coming from somebody who's living. You might be in the hospital three to four days. You gotta follow up, but it's only you're in on the hospital three to four days. If was a deceased donor. You're in the hospital for about a week because you gotta okay. you gotta pretty much gotta wake the kidney back up. If that if that makes oh. sense when you get it okay. from a deceased donor, yeah. Okay. All right. And living donor yeah. kidneys last a lot longer. So living donors, your kidney can last twenty five to thirty years. With deceased donors, is like ten to fifteen years for the kidney last. I own average.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that, that probably has something to do with the process of, you know, like you said, a living donor, uh, it's pretty much plug and play almost where right. you know, with the, exactly. the deceased donor, you know, they have to revive it and make sure it's mm-hmm. healthy and, and get that flowing. Mm-hmm. So obvious there. Okay. All right. So shameless plug time. So, and I, and I know we've <laughs> talked about all this stuff, But I need you to brag on yourself, tell people once again how they can help you, where they can Mm -hmm. donate, and how they can follow your story on social media.
2: So brag on on yourself. uh, Just look up Lionel, Jelly Roll Dalton. That's on all my social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Facebook is just Lionel Dalton. Uh, You can go to my website, newkidneyforjellyroll.com. There's links in there for the hospitals that I am currently on the list. So it's Cleveland Clinic in uh Florida and um John Hopkins in Baltimore. Um and I, I'm also going to be on uh, St. Jude in Kansas City once I get on that list. I'm going to add that to the that link to the website as well. If you have any questions, there's a lot of Q&A um questions on the website. But you can also hit me up on my social media platform, inbox me, ask me any questions you want. I usually answer my questions two to three times. On Wednesdays and Fridays when I'm in dialysis, I usually answer. 'cause I'm there for four and a half hours. So I usually answer all the questions then. It helps me, um, forget that what I'm doing. <laughs> it actually helps the process move a little faster when I can distract myself. And um just keep me in your prayers, man. Keep sending me the motivation. I like, I like motivational poems. I like, uh, I like to hear positive affirmations from people. And, um, and and I just appreciate all the support I've been getting, especially from Baltimore. That's been my biggest supporters so far during this process.
1: Okay. All right. Now, is there anything that I overlooked or, or forgot to ask you?
2: Mm-hmm. Got to ask me, what's my favorite food? <laughs> no, nothing. No, you didn't ask me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did a good job, man. You've asked me more questions than most people have asked me. You know, okay. um, I've what? never been asked what I want people to remember me by. I've never been asked that. Um, well, my wife asked me that when we were dating, but uh, I, no one's ever asked me that before, so I appreciate that question.
1: Not, a, Not a problem at all. You have a very powerful story. I hope we can do our part to share it. So Lionel Jelly Roll Dalton. Stay strong, my friend. Keep fighting and and being a champion, not just on the football field, but for people fighting kidney disease and and other other issues. So thank you and spreading your positive vibe. And like I said, this is personal for me. My sister Kelly loves your story and, and what you've been through, so I pray for you and your family, and please make me a promise. When you get that kidney replacement, call me to update me and my listeners. So let us celebrate that championship with you. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour.